This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I don't know if you ever reflect on the blessings of prayer. You think about 1 Peter 5, 7 and the fact that we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. It's personal. He cares for me. He cares for you. We can enter boldly before God's throne. Going to him to, to experience, to find his mercy and his grace to help us in our time of need. You realize what a privilege that is? What a blessing that is? And, and to know that we're in fellowship, one that has promised to never leave us or forsake us. That's rich. That is so very, very rich, whatever we might be going through. And then the joy of seeing God work very specifically, very personally in our lives. Whether it's a test result that's negative. Grace to deal with a test result that's not whether it's wisdom to deal with a difficult decision or a difficult circumstance, or strength and grace to keep going in the face of a sustained challenge, all of those things God is able to work in and through, and he just wants us to come to him in prayer. Prayer is so very wonderful, so very rich. I wonder what prayers God hears on your behalf. We have prayer lists that go out on every Wednesday. We share emails during the week. I don't know if you know it, but the, the staff prays through our church membership list every Tuesday morning, not the whole list, but we're working our way through, praying for you individually. What do you suppose people are praying for when they say, I'm praying for you? What is God hearing? Well, tonight I want to look at what one man, the Apostle Paul, was praying on behalf of other believers. And believing that all scripture is profitable for us, I want us to consider the content of that prayer in light of our own lives. You know, seeing God answer our prayers is something we're accustomed to. But you ever had a time when a person was an answer to prayer? Maybe by their presence, maybe by something that they did, maybe by a word that they shared. Have you ever been an answer to prayer in someone's life. Well, do you think God might want you or your life to be an answer to prayer? Well, if you're able and you're in Colossians chapter 1, if you can stand with me out of respect to God's word, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3 and read through verse number 12. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3, and there we read, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it in, is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye have also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day of we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, 
that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all his might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers in the inheritance of the saints in light. Tonight I'd like to look at this passage in a message that I've titled, Are You an Answer to Prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who expresses his love to his children in so many personal and special ways. And for the sweet bond of fellowship that we enjoy with you in prayer, because you made it possible, and because you are a great God who wants to do great things in and through us. Lord, as we consider this truth tonight, as we consider the heart of Paul in the life of these believers, Lord, would you teach us? Would you guide us? Would you strengthen us? And Lord, would you work in hearts, mind first and foremost, Lord, but work in our hearts to accomplish your purpose for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's worth taking just a moment to think about Colossae and, and what's going on there. A region in Western Asia Minor, what we would call modern-day Turkey today. Um, in the centuries before Jesus' birth, it had been a pretty prominent city. Um, well populated on a trade route that went from Ephesus all the way to the Euphrates. Um, and they were well known for their textile industry, in particular, a dark red wool. And by the, by the 60s, when Paul is writing this letter to them there, the city is beginning to decline. It's been overshadowed by some other cities in the area, Laodicea and Hierapolis. And in fact, by the time he's writing this, there's been an earthquake in the area there that has caused major destruction. And in fact, the city of Colossae will never really even recover from it. And it's interesting that of all of the letters that Paul writes, most of the time, or many times, he's writing to places he's visited. This is an occasion where he's writing to believers, and all indications are that he has not been there himself. He says in chapter 2 and verse number 1, he said he had not seen, they had not seen Paul's faith, face in the flesh. He hadn't been there, yet Paul still cared. We also learn that the work that's going on there, the gospel ministry, is being done through Epaphras, a, a colleague of Paul's. According to chapter 4 and verse number 12, he was from Colossae. It says, Paul says, he was one of you. And very likely, Epaphras was converted during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, a ministry that lasted three years. He refers early in the chapter, he gives us a description of what this, this church is like. And listen to this description. It, it should encourage your hearts, I think. He begins by calling them saints and faithful brethren. Faithful brethren. And then he goes on to say in verse number four that he'd heard of their faith. What was going on in their church was significant, in their midst was significant enough that other people were hearing of it. They're hearing of their, their faith, their belief in Christ, their desire to follow him. He also says in verse number four that he'd heard of the love that they had, a love that they had to all saints. 
And then in verse number six, he talks about the fact that the, the gospel is at work. A gospel that is bringing forth fruit. What a description. Wouldn't you like to have been a part of this group of believers, a group that's known by their faith? Other people hear about it because of what God's doing. They're known by their love, a love that's testified by their pastor, Epaphras. He mentions it in verse number 8 of chapter number 1. A place where the gospel is at work, there's fruit as a result of what's happened through the gospel in Colossae. Sounds like a great place to be, doesn't it? I think even as I think about our church, I think about some of those characteristics and characteristics that we have here. It encourages me because I see some of those same things at work in our midst here. And yet, interestingly, with all this, Paul still found a reason to pray later in that first chapter. Why? Why, if they're known for their faith, they're known for their love, the gospel is at work, there's fruit because of the gospel. Why does he feel the need to pray? Well, I think we find part of that answer over in chapter 2. So if you turn there, shouldn't be too hard to do. Chapter 2, Paul begins in verse number 1, talking about the fact that he has this great conflict. Now, what he means by that great conflict is not that something is at war with something else. He's talking about the fact that he has this great burden within him. He can't be with those in Colossae, yet his heart is very heavy for them and some things that he's hearing, some things that he is concerned about. And what are those things? Well, I think there's two. I think there's two things here that he points out to them. First, in verse number 6 and 7, he talks about the fact that they had therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Well, if you're like me, when someone shared the gospel with you, they took a Bible and they opened it up, and they shared some verses with you. And I don't know what your personal habit is when you've had an opportunity to witness to folks, but I would encourage you, if you don't do it now, to consider adopting the idea of opening the Bible and letting them read what the Scriptures are. The power of God unto salvation is found here. It isn't found here. Um, and God's truth sets men free, and letting them read it is very, very powerful. That truth that my faith was founded in is a truth that I'm supposed to continue in. And the way that I found that truth wasn't by reading a good book. It wasn't by just some personal philosophy that somebody shared with me. It's because someone took God's word and they opened it up and they shared with me, thus saith the Lord. And I believe that's the message Paul's trying to talk to them about right now. You started strong. You started responding to the truth that you had received, and now I'm telling you, you need to continue in what you have learned. You, needed to be, you need to be rooted in it, established in it. Far too often, and apparently was the case there as well, people aren't rooted and established. Now, I don't know if, you're, if there's any gardeners out there. I imagine there are. 
you've probably learned that when plants are small, they're very vulnerable, aren't they? Don't give them a little water for a day or two, it's over. Too much sun, it's over. Frost, it's over. There are so many things that can kill a small plant. Why? It's not rooted. It, it doesn't have anything to, to sustain it. It's, com- it's almost completely dependent on what I'm giving it. We, we never expected that plant would survive, and yet somehow believers think they can survive that way without being rooted and established in the truth. And apparently Paul was concerned about that here. Well, there's a second concern that he expresses to them, and I believe that that is found in verse number 8. There he talks about the fact that there are those who would spoil them with philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. It's interesting how easy and how subtly sometimes um, the world's influences find their way into our life. Apparently, that was a concern there. In fact, what it looked like was the influence of the Gnostics was a concern that he had. They're living in a hedonistic society, the influences of Rome that were ever before them, especially in larger cities. And then they also, on top of that, had religious influences, traditions. The Jews, who desired to impose upon salvation certain requirements, circumcision, and other requirements that they said you still needed to follow, adding to the gospel traditions, philosophies. You know, avoiding unrighteous influences is something that we have to do on purpose. You agree with that? Paul was concerned. He knew about their faith. He knew about their love. He knew the gospel was at work in their midst, and yet he was deeply troubled, deeply conflicted, because he knew they were vulnerable. You know, I think the children's song is appropriate, (laughs) that I learned, that I sang, that I taught. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. We teach that sometimes to our children and then sometimes aren't as diligent maybe as we need to be to see what their little eyes are seeing, to be careful about what their little ears are hearing, to know where they're going. And then we somehow think we're not vulnerable ourselves. Paul knew it was a concern. You know, our culture today may not have to deal with the influence of the Jews. People may not be attracted to the philosophy of the Gnostics. But we have today something that's even better than that because we're smarter. We call them influencers. And so are these people out there who have millions of followers who want to espouse philosophies, products, ideas, and get everybody to buy in to what they're selling. And amazingly, they're quite successful, not just with unbelievers, but sometimes with believers as well. People want to be accepted. 
People want to fit in, and sometimes in an effort to do that, we will allow ourselves to be unduly influenced by something that's going to pull us away from Christ. Some things don't change. So if, if the believers at Colossae who were described as loving, faithful, the gospel was a work at their midst, if Paul was concerned for them, should we be concerned for ourselves? I believe we should. Let's look at back in chapter 1 at verses 9 through 11. And let's consider Paul's prayer quickly. And as we do that, please ask yourself, is my relationship with God and its reflection in and through my life an answer to this prayer that Paul is sharing with them at Colossae? Beginning in verse number 9, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He begins, for this cause. You know, Paul's not praying for them because they're, they're woefully weak people. He's praying for them because he wants their testimony to remain strong. You know, ignoring the circumstances in Colossae would not be wise on his part. I mean, they're doing okay, right? What should be the big concern here? There's fruit. They love each other. They're, fa they're faithful. Why should I even trouble myself with that? You know, ignoring a problem never does make it go away, does it? You ever watched a, a parent with a toddler in a store, and you, your toddlers are long since gone? Maybe they're out of the house and you're a grandparent and you watch them with that toddler and watch that toddler take control and get everything they want and leave there thinking, nodding your head, thinking you're going to pay that bill over and over and it's going to get more expensive and more expensive as, as time goes on. Why? Because you have to deal with a problem when it's a problem. If you don't, you'll deal with it later on. And I believe that's why Paul is wanting them to look at this and to consider it. So that's the cause that's on his heart. And so what does he say? The first part of his prayer request is that he desires that they might be filled with the knowledge of his or God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Knowing the will of God. Sometimes we scratch our heads on that one, thinking, I'm not sure I can know. Do you, do you feel like you know God's will for your life? Maybe, maybe the answer to that is yes. Others may say, I don't even know if I remember asking God for his will in, in the leading in my life. And said, for some, it might be I'm, I'm not really sure what God's will is for me in my life. And I think sometimes we add mystery to something that God did not want to make mysterious at all. And, and we maybe forget that in order to understand God's specific will in our life, we ought to get started just following his general will in our life. Scripture's very clear about the general expectations God has for every Christian. And as we begin to do that, I believe God sheds more light on the specifics of what he wants to do. It's very difficult to get a heart that isn't obedient in general things to be open to being obedient in specific things. Notice that Paul also shares here kind of some characteristics of that will. He says that you'd have a knowledge of his will in all wisdom 
and in spirit and with spiritual understanding. I don't know how you define wisdom. I, I think maybe simply it's, it's just kind of the skill to live according to God's will, God's word in our life, doing practically what it tells us that we ought to do. And as we do that, God opens our hearts and minds to what he wants us to do and to a deeper understanding. It talks here about also having all spiritual understanding. I spent some time trying to get ready for last Friday. And you know, I got asked some questions I wasn't quite sure how to answer. And we had some discussions in there that I think some other people weren't quite sure how to answer. It wasn't because we don't desire to know. It's because it takes a lot of work to try to spiritually understand all that God has for us. But we live in a microwave world. In fact, microwaves aren't even fast enough anymore. It takes three minutes to heat up soup. Why can't that take 30 seconds? Right? And sound bites. Try to keep somebody's attention for more than 10 or 15 seconds. The commercial world knows you can't. And so I don't, I don't watch TV really that much, but every time, every time I see a commercial, it's like my head hurts because things are happening so fast. I'm like, sometimes I don't even know what the message is. Now, that's probably a failing on my part, not on theirs, but that's kind of the way we see things. Folks are looking for shortcuts. And so when you, when you crash into a verse like 2 Timothy 2.15 that says to study to show yourself approved unto God, you're like, Ugh. study is hard work. It takes time. It takes effort. But you know, if you want to get to Romans 11. 33, or at least closer to it, where it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You realize you can't quit. you got to keep looking. And Paul wanted them to keep looking. And although he doesn't mention here, you know, I would offer that I think another place to look, and I certainly have experienced this in my life in the last six months, is in godly counselors. Scripture teaches us that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. We're going to get input from somebody. We really will. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be talking to your spouse. It doesn't mean you can't be talking to other folks. But consider who the people are that you're getting your advice from, especially when you're making important decisions. We need to be very, very careful about that. So Paul begins here, I believe, focusing on their personal relationship, wanting them to understand what God's asking them to do, desiring to know God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But knowing isn't doing. And so Paul transitions in his prayer, I believe, in the next verse, in verse number 10. There he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. God. Notice first that he says there we're to walk. You know that. Ours is an active faith. It's not a passive faith. We are to be moving forward for the Lord. In the Christian life, knowledge and obedience, they go together. We heard a little bit about that this morning in, in the message from Dr. I believe it was Dr. Yoho. 
when it ended with the fact that we're supposed to be doers of the word of God. The fact that we need to do exactly what he asks us to do. And he says here that they need to be fruitful in every good work. You know, being fruitful is not something that happens once and you're done. It's something that's continuous. It was apparently on display, at least in part, in what was going on in Colossae because he talked about the gospel being at work. He talked about there being fruit that they could see, and he talks about love. That's one of the the first fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. I think the truth of John 15, 8 might have been on his mind a little bit as well as he's sharing this, and that is that herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I don't think it was just spiritual fruit that he was interested in seeing in their lives, but also fruit that was multiplying as the church is trying to grow in some very, very trying circumstances. Imagine the task before them. New message. They don't have this. Opposition. The government certainly was no more a friend of the gospel than it is today, probably less so there. The Jews, the religious people of the day that you would have hoped would have been on your side, they're fighting against you as well because they don't agree with what you're doing. All these things, and persecution was very real, and yet the gospel was at work in Colossae. The most important work to be done, gospel proclamation. You know, we look around these walls and and we see a lot of faces and a lot of places Places that we're excited about, encouraged by, challenged by, wanting to see God's work in those places continue and grow and spread. And here we are in Chesapeake, Virginia, and what are we doing? I, uh, as I was reflecting on this and preparing for this, I I found myself asking the question to myself, what evidence do I have in my life that affirms my commitment to do the work that God left me here to do? When was the last time I shared in writing, or perhaps more importantly, in conversation, the gospel of Jesus Christ? When was it? God's not holding me accountable for what the people do in response to it, but he is holding me accountable. He did leave me here to share that message. And it's a message that Paul knew needed to be shared there. It's a message that we need to share here. He also challenged them yet again with the idea at the end of this verse about understanding, like he did in verse number 9, the idea of, of having understanding and knowledge of God. Again, I was challenged on Friday. Here he talks about increasing in the knowledge of God. Are we to be any different than that? You know, some, sometimes, and I say this to my own shame, um, can go pretty extended periods of time as I reflect back on my Christian life over the decade where there were periods of time where I wasn't really growing much in the Lord at all. 
I couldn't really share with you some new amazing truth that God had revealed to me that was being reflected perhaps in my life or through my life. And yet, that's what God wants for all of us. So Paul prays in verse number 9, for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And then he continues to, to say that that knowledge needs to transition to action, that their lives need to be lived in a way that's obedient to that will, that results in good works, that results in a deeper understanding of who God is. Well, then in verse 11, how does he kind of finish up his prayer? He says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, longsuffering with joyfulness. Strengthened with all might. You know, I've got three grandsons at home all the time right now. Well, for a couple more days. And so I've come to realize just what a fascination guys have with this whole idea of, of strength. Grandpa, look how strong I am. They really are all about being able to show how much they can lift, how much they can squeeze me at bedtime when it's time to give a hug. We're impressed with, with strength. You know, there was a time when I had enough strength to be able to get a maximum score on the Army physical fitness test, but those days are long gone for me. Yeah. But, but Michelle does let me open up a pickle jar or something like that every once in a while just to kind of restore my manhood. Paul knew here that the believers needed strength. They needed strength. It wasn't enough that God was at work. It wasn't enough that there was some evidence he knew they were going to need strength to continue going on. And he reminds them in this verse what the source of that strength in the first part of it is when he says, according to his glorious power. I don't know anybody that doesn't want strength in their life. Any Christian that doesn't want strength in their life. But if we want strength in our life, we have got to go to the source where that strength is available to us. And it doesn't happen casually. It doesn't happen quickly. It takes continual fellowship, continual interaction, continual seeking strength. Those of you who have done strength training know that you don't go to the gym one time, pump a little iron, and it's over. In fact, if you go to the gym once and pump iron, you're going to be hurting really bad in a couple days. But it doesn't do a thing except hurt. You've got to stay after it. And he talks here in this verse about patience and long-suffering. And, and I tie patience um, to the idea of circumstances, the, the notion that you do have to continue. You do have to continue. And when I think about long-suffering... To me, that has a lot to do sometimes with your relationships with people, which sometimes require patience too. But are a way that God can show us how we're doing spiritually. We can be pretty quick sometimes, or at least some Christians can. I've done it myself to quote in Philippians the fact that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then walk out the door and face some kind of crisis, and all of a sudden the Christ that strengthens me is nowhere to be found. God wants us to live a more consistent life than that. And, it, 
And if you think that's challenging, and I do, the characteristic that he offers at the end is particularly challenging in my way of thinking. That is to approach all of that, to approach that life that you're living for God according to his glorious power with patience and long-suffering with a joyful spirit. I don't know what verses you read when you're trying to give contemplation to this idea of joy, but one that kind of... um, I always try to wrap my head around closer and closer to, if I can, is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, and it'll be a familiar verse to you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, I think the the circumstances of the last 14 months have made quite a statement in the life of a lot of believers about how circumstances can sometimes rule our hearts and minds. Do you catch yourself proclaiming God's sufficiency and and your satisfaction with abundant life found in Christ? Or are you more likely to talk about a politician's decision or a limitation on your life? Joyfulness, joyfulness, joyfulness. How patient and long-suffering and joyful are we in our life? Well, I believe that God, through the Apostle Paul here, has given us a lot to think about. You know, we can't rest on our laurels individually or corporately. We have many here who faithfully pray for our church and its ministries, and God's answering. Our church is financially blessed. Thank you, God. Our missions program, our family is growing. Praise the Lord. Attendance is increasing. People are coming back. The church family is growing. Thank you, God. We even saw four baptized on a recent Sunday. You know, the outward signs are here that God is at work. Perhaps as we apply the aspects from these three verses to this prayer, a deeper question might be, how much are some of these characteristics at work in my life? Or am I riding on somebody else's coattails to see what God is going to do in and through the ministry here? Again, do you understand God's will? Are you drawing closer to Him to try to do so? Who are the godly influencers or who are the influencers in your life? Are they godly ones? Is it God's word itself? And then second, when you put it to action, how how does your walk with the Lord reflect a deeper understanding of him? That's what Paul was praying for, for them in Colossae. As, As you live out your faith, is that your commitment? Do you desire to grow in knowledge of God. And then third, how is God's strength reflected in your life? Are the characteristics of patience, long-suffering, joyfulness, are those characteristics that others would use to describe you? If not, perhaps God 
would want to work in your life so that you could be an answer to this prayer that Paul offered to them at Colossae. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for your truth. God, I... I pray that you would help us to realize how precious our fellowship with you can be. Lord, how you long to strengthen us in your glorious power to accomplish great things for you. Lord, how you desire to to work individually in lives, powerfully in lives, how you desire to work powerfully in this church. Lord, to do great things for your glory. That we would be a people whose faith is on display in a way that honors you, whose love is apparent to everyone who comes in these doors. A place where the gospel is at work all the time. A place where we see fruit. New believers, believers growing with the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in their lives. God, would you help us Lord, to desire greater things for you because you certainly desire, greater things from you because you certainly desire greater things for us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.